John chapter 17 is where we are this morning. The Lord's other prayer, uh, starting in verse 20. We'll read to verse 26 this morning. This is part 8. And so we've got one more coming up next week, and then we'll be finished with John 17. We've done it in, in nine parts, but we've seen how beautiful and rich this high priestly prayer of Jesus is. Remember, Jesus is praying this, right? He's, he's praying this, and we get to listen in on a prayer between God the Son and God the Father. And so, uh, with ears to hear, I'd ask if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading again, John 17, verse 20 through 26. The precious and errant, infallible Word of God says this. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their Word. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity." So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. First Baptist Church of Great Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Lord, when we consider this week, Lord, all that we have to have, uh, have to be thankful for, all that you've given us and blessed us with, Father, allow us not to forget to mention your word. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us this word, your Bible, your scriptures. We are so thankful that you have preserved this for us, kept this for us, so we uh, may have it as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Not only that, Father, we're thankful that as we learned last week, that you use this word, the belief and faith in what you say in this word, the gospel that this word presents, you use it to set us apart from the world. Lord, now as we learn that you use this world, not only this word, not only to do that, but to sanctify us, to unite us together around your scriptures. Father, we just, we look at that in our culture and we simply don't see it. So we ask for your help in how to know that the Bible unifies, how we trust that the Bible unifies us and the impact it may have on the world around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So remember a little bit of the context here. Jesus is praying, uh, and and this morning we come to the final section of Jesus' prayer. Remember we talked about in the first five verses, Jesus is really just praying for himself between he and the Father, and then verses 6 to 19, he's praying specifically for the disciples, right? The, the 11 that are there with him now. Well, now starting in verse 20, uh, this portion of the prayer, he turns his focus, Jesus does, uh, to the future generations of believers to come. 
Now, we have learned a lot from the first 19 verses of this text. In fact, there's much that we could apply from that. Uh, But specifically, these final verses is where we find most of our application. This part is directly concerning us today. In this section, Jesus has in mind not just the 11 disciples. He's prayed for them already, but now he focuses on the many generations of believers that, get this, will come after these apostles through their ministry. And that would include you and I if you belong to Jesus this morning. But I want you to note something. It's interesting the way Jesus prays here. You'll notice how he specifically prays for those who will believe. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, is praying for those who will believe. In his prayer, Jesus is absolutely certain that the witness of the original disciples will prove to be effective. Can I just say how encouraging that is? Jesus is certain that the the testimony of his disciples will be effective. Just think about this. This is why he prays for those who have not yet believed as those who will believe. Jesus' prayer is going to be answered here. In fact, it's been answered already time and time again. As people have come to believe the gospel message, as they have heard the gospel and they've believed in the gospel, since the time of this prayer, Jesus has proved that this prayer is effective. Jesus is certain that the witness of his disciples will be effective. Now, it also presumes that their witness, as it's passed along by generation, each generation of believers, will continue to prove effective. Think about this. This effectiveness is going to continue and continue on until Jesus comes again. So, so this is why Jesus says, I'm praying for those who will believe. Because as long as Jesus tarries, so long as he does not return, that he does not come back, we must trust that the reason is that there are others who have yet to come to Christ and Jesus is still working in their lives to bring them to himself. I want you to consider this because I I had a a brother in Christ, I think in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, mentioned this. Many of us are eager for Christ's return, right? We look around to the world around us, we see the many evils that are surrounding us, and we're, we're wondering, what are you waiting on, Jesus? Why won't you come back? But then we begin to think about our loved ones who have not yet received the gospel, And we're praying that Christ, yes, would return, but we're trusting in the reason he hasn't returned yet is because he's still working out the gospel and those he will save. That's a tremendous gift. As long as Jesus does not return, we have hope each new day that he will save those that we have loved, that we have prayed for, that we have wanted so desperately to hear the gospel. Jesus is confident that those who will believe will believe. Another thing worth noting early on in this passage and some introductory comments here is that Jesus mentions the means by which his people will come to believe. And the means, as you guessed, is nothing less than the word of God. The word of God is the means by which faith comes. The the word of God is the means of entrance into the church. And this has always been the case. This is nothing new. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. 
The Word of God enlightens eyes. The Word of God gives understanding. And we have plenty of examples in the Scriptures of this very thing happening, don't we? Let's just look at a few this morning. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, we read this. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Did you hear that? Many of those who heard what? The message, they did what? They believed. Why does it say that? Well, the word message there in the Greek is literally uh, the word scriptures. Heard the scriptures. Because this is the gospel message that was preached from the word of God by the apostles in Acts chapter 4. So the apostles preached the word and those who truly heard the word believed. 5,000 of them. What a marvelous day that was. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul writes this, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. So they're proclaiming the gospel, they're speaking the truth of God's word, and the people were receiving it as if it is very much the word of God which it actually is is. Then in also Acts 16, we're told about this woman named Lydia. We read about her in chapter 16, verse 14. Paul was speaking God's word. He's preaching, proclaiming the gospel. She's listening, and we're told, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. This is what happens when the word of God is proclaimed, folks. God uses it, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God rightfully preached to open hearts to receive faith. That's a beautiful thing. It means that it's the means that God has used time and time again to draw people into His heavenly kingdom. See, what I'd like to emphasize here is that the Bible, Scripture, the Word of God is the key ingredient to evangelism. See, if we hope to see people come to Jesus, we must introduce them to him through his word. The only way anybody can or will be saved is if the Holy Spirit applies the word of God to the heart of the hearer, giving him or her ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. And, and can I tell you, it's a little bit troubling to me to have so many gospel tracts available today that have no word of God in them. H how are we sharing Christ if we're not sharing his word? What authority do we go on to say that this message is authentic and it's genuine if we don't have the word? Look at your Bible tracts that you own and make sure that not only they have the Word of God in them, but they have the Word of God rightly applied in them. That's everyone's hope. Your hope this morning is to hear God's Word and to be saved. It's all we need for our evangelism. We need God's Word. And so, they have passed along. Uh, Jesus tells us in this portion of the prayer, he has in mind all those who come to believe through the word of God. He's given his apostles, which they in turn then committed to writing, uh, which we now have in the form of the Holy Scriptures. They've passed that word along to these scriptures to every generation of believers since that time. So with this sword as the introduction in the first few verses, I want us to turn our attention to what exactly Jesus prays for here. What is it that he's praying for in our text? Well, I want you to see this. Jesus prays, first of all, that all believers would be one. 
Jesus prays that all believers would be one. He basically is praying for unity among his people. The the unity that Jesus prays for, listen to me, it's not merely a unity that's based on a feeling of love. That's not it. Are we called to love one another? Yes, by this they will know that you are his disciples, by your love for one another, right? But this is not based on merely a feeling of love between one another. That's not what he's referring to. Uh, He's not referring to just getting along with one another uh, for the sake of getting along. That's not the type of unity he's referring to. That's not what he's praying. I want you to see this. The unity is based on the belief in and acceptance of the revelation that the Father has given to the first disciples through his Son. In short, this unity comes from having the Word of God at the center. In other words, the Word of God is the the means of unity within the church. That's what it is. It's the basis of unity within the church. I want you to think about this because this is astounding to me. The Word of God is the basis of unity within the church. And yet, what do we see around us? What do we see in many uh, uh, areas of our own and our communities? We see many different churches with many different names and many different denominations. And we would look back and assume that something's gone wrong there, right? If God says, if Christ is praying that we would all be united around the word of God, right? That the word of God would produce unity, then how is it so that we've got so many denominations, so many different views of the scriptures, so many misunderstandings of the scriptures? It's simple. Sin. The the reason we don't have clear and full understanding of God's word the way he intends for us to have it is because we're sinful human beings. That's it. Now, I want you to see this here because it's, it's important. His desire, Christ's desire, is that his people would be united around the truth of God's word. We have to appreciate the centrality of the word in every matter of faith and life. As it concerns the unity of Christ's church, there is no other foundation upon which we may build. That's the chief foundation. Jesus Christ, the word of God, is the cornerstone of the church. We must not attempt to build this church or any other foundation. It must be the word of God at root. See, there are some Christians who push for unity but who are willing to compromise what they believe God's word to teach just so we could join together with others in some various efforts of the common needs of ministries. That's not how we pursue unity, folks. We don't pursue unity for the, at the expense of truth. Now, hear me. When we talk about unified and, and truth, let's, let's be realistic as well. Though there is one, I believe, one true and right doctrine that we'll all know when we get to heaven, we must understand that the truth we're talking about is on the primary understanding of God's word. There are many secondary issues that we tend to make primary issues, which is actually most of the reasons why we have different denominations. If we could just agree on what the primary means of grace are, what the primary understanding of the gospel is, then we'd be much more united than we are right now. But I want you to consider this, right? How do we know what 
What are those core truths that we believe? Well, we've got something called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And I believe, though there's, I believe there's beauty in the generality of that, uh, of, of that doctrine, but I think there are core evidences of faith that we see there. And this is why we believe we're Baptists. And then let me just tell you this, because it's important. You may be looking for a church somewhere and your understanding of how to look for a church is going to be based upon unity of liking the same type of music, the same type of preaching, the same type of color of the carpets, the same type of people as you, the same type of comforts that you enjoy. God says Christ is praying that that would not be the basis on which you look to join a church. You look to join a church that is faithful to preach God's word and faithful to live God's word. And faithful to be gracious unto one another in keeping God's word. That's what we ought to desire in the church because this is where unity is going to come from. As we're unified in truth, God will then mold us together as his people. And, and that witness will be a testimony for the world to see. That's the chief foundation. It's the word of God. And, and this is what was passed down from the apostles down to generations. Jude reminds us that our faith is rooted in history, that our faith is one that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's not just any faith or word that was delivered to the saints. Rather, what was delivered to the saints in, in Jude's time and our, our time, it was nothing short of the very word of God which expressed the content of this historic faith. So we don't achieve this unity by compromising the content of this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. A faith that's been expressed in the Holy Scriptures, which has been passed down from age to age. John Stott put it like this. He says, speaking of what Jesus is doing there, he says, Jesus' prayer was first and foremost that there might be a historical continuity between the apostles and the post-apostolic uh, church. That the church's faith might not change with the changing years, but remain recognizable the same. And the church of every generation might merit the epithet of apostolicit because of its loyalty to the message and mission of the apostles. So let's think about this. We know that the apostolic church was marked by a great amount of unity. We can peek at it in Acts chapter 2. We see a picture of it. In Acts 2, 42, 46, and 47, we read this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the pair. What were they devoting themselves to? The first thing that's mentioned is the apostles' teaching. Now, I want you to see this because here's the result in verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Don't you hope we get to see a picture of that tonight, right? I'm looking forward to that. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That one accord, that one continuity, that union was based upon the devotion to the apostles' message. They didn't have to compromise the truth in order to see growth, in order to see experience unity within the body of Christ. See, church, if our unity is to be grounded upon God's word, it must be based on what God's word teaches. It's simple. It's not good enough for us to simply decree, yes, we all agree that God's word is God's word. Lots of people say that. What do you believe about God's word? What do you believe that it teaches? That's what we need to be unified of. 
Once again, that's why we have confessions of faith. That's why we have the Baptist faith and message. That's why in order to be a member of this church, if you desire to be unified with us in the body of Christ, we want to make sure you're in agreement to what we believe as a church through the scriptures. Confessions are faithful summaries and expressions of what the scriptures teach. So one way this unity is achieved is by God's people being united in a common confession of faith. And it's also being united by coming practices which flow from a correct understanding of what God's word teaches. The reason behind the the diversity of belief and, and the practices within the church, it's rooted in the fact that sin has come into the world. Now, diversity is a really good thing on one measure of Christ's church, but when it comes to diversity of faiths being united together in Christ's church, it's not such a good thing. We ought to be unified in what we believe about the scriptures according to those primary truths. So let's think about this. Sin is the ugly cause for all of the splits and schisms within the church of Christ. Sin is the reason we have so many denominations in the world. That sort of diversity is something that causes the world to mock our faith when it sees it rather than to believe it. That sort of diversity is exactly the kind of thing we should be working and praying against with grace. So let me ask you, what's our application here? What what does this mean for me? How can I apply this to my life today? Well, can I just tell you, first of all, we need to be praying for greater unity here at First Baptist Church of Greg Gables. We need to be praying for greater unity. But, But it's a little bit more than that, isn't it? Of course we need to pray for greater unity, but we also need to spend time learning what the prophets and apostles teach in the Holy Scriptures. We should strive by God's grace to learn these things better and better so we might all be equipped to be a faithful witness. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What does your pursuit of learning God's word look like? Because I think we get to the point where we're being raised in church, we know the basic Bible stories, we have our faith, and then that becomes good enough for us. Because the rest of it, let's just face it, it's just kind of hard. It's deep. We don't like deep in our culture. We like shallow and basic and quick. God's word, you won't find that a lot, right? So, so what does our pursuit of unity and truth look like in this manner? Well, it looks like being a part of a Sunday school class. It looks like the ability to come and ask your questions, discuss among yourselves, learn in a small group setting what it means to be a child of the word of God. It means to be a child of faith and a learner, a student of the word of God. It means to to really to, to sit under the word, to listen to the word as many times as you get an opportunity to do so. That's why our our Wednesday night ministry is centered on the word. Our Sunday night ministry is centered on the words. Our youth ministry is centered on the words. Our children ministry is centered on the word. Our Awana ministry is centered on the word. Our nursery is centered on the word of God. It's because this is the thing which we want to to formulate within our church. It's unity with one, one another. Unity together. So we have to be practicing this type of unity. And now we want to ask the question, what does this, what do we need to understand about this unity that helps us strive towards it? Well, three things here very quickly as we close. This unity that Jesus prays for is a mystical unity. This unity Jesus is praying for is a mystical unity in the same way that Jesus is united to the Father. Hear this. 
in the same way that Jesus is united to the Father, so we are united to one another in Christ Jesus. You think about that? There is really no easy way to explain what this is like. Can I tell you that? Um, This is uh, any illustration I tried to write about this becomes heretical very quickly, okay? The Apostle Paul provides some help in us trying to understand when he tells us that we're all one body, even though the body is made up of different members, right? There's a word picture for us there, but even that doesn't give us the full mystical aspect of how it is that we are united to one another, But I'll tell you this, church, deeper than bond and blood between siblings is the unity that we have with our Savior and with one another. That's why we refer to each other as brother and sister in Christ. We tend to just throw that term around. But church family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something that binds us together with one another that cannot be explained, and it really can only be known when you experience it yourself. When we come to Jesus, our hearts are knit together. We become members of the same family. We become citizens of a kingdom, not of this world. That is why it is the case that we can meet Christians from all kinds of different backgrounds, even different countries, and still feel as if we are related to them still have a wonderful bond with them. You don't even really need to speak their language perfectly, but you know if that you are in Christ and they have Christ, there is something that attracts you to each other. You know that you belong together. It's, 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 in a way, it's a mystical unity. I pray that would be so with us that you would have relationships in this church that you really just can't even explain. Because outside of Christ, you might not even like that person. (laughs) You might have nothing in common with them. But they are Christ, and you are Christ, and therefore, there's a blood bond between the two of you. That is the beauty of Christ church. Not only is there a mystical unity, there's also uh, the unity that Jesus prays for here is is a practical unity. It's a practical unity, or as we say, an observable unity, I think. It's an observable unity. It's a unity that we can be looked at and seen by the watching world. Therefore, it's not enough then to simply say that we are all one in Christ and then to have no evidence of that in your life or in church. And some of the ways we might have this aspect of practicalness to our unity is to join together with other like-minded Christians and participate in common ministries. You, you, you can see... if. Put it this way, if you're not involving yourself with the ministry of the church, then you have no avenue to see whether you are actually united with people or not. Can I tell you this? We have a, we have a, a term as preachers, they're called SMOs. Sunday morning onlys. And, and, and listen, I, I get the busyness of life, but I will tell you, you can often spot many Sunday morning onlys. Because they, though they're, they're regular attenders, they sit under the word of God, they're, they're, they're not really connected to the people of the church. And part of that's on us, church. Part of that's on looking for those people and, and thinking of ways we can connect them to the church. But friends, you will never be unified, you will never experience that mystical unity with a body of believers if you don't come consistently and you don't minister alongside each other. We'll never experience it. 
we will continue on with the Sunday morning only trend. And that, that scares me because that's not something that's very observable. If somebody from, from the lost world comes in here and they see us sitting apart, not knowing each other's names, they come up to you, which has happened on many occasions, and say, hey, I know that church, so-and-so goes to that church. And you say, who? <laughs> yeah, they go there every Sunday. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know who that is. That's not an observable unity that Christ builds within the church. So this has to be an observable unity. There are many ways we can do that. We can do that with the fellowships we gather together. We can do that as we gather around the Lord's table. So it has to be an observable unity. But in this prayer, Jesus also provides us with the purpose of this unity. And this is where we kind of want to get here. His purpose is evangelical. The, the purpose of this unity, it's, it's evangelical. Right? Jesus prays that we would be one, that we would bear the marks of unity so that those who are watching might believe. And specifically, that they might believe two things. That they might first of all believe that you have sent me. That they would believe that Jesus was sent from heaven. That is Jesus speaking to the Father. By being one, by being united, we become living testimonies to the world that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth by the Father. When we have failed to express the unity with one another in the church of Christ, it has the opposite effect. For example, as mentioned previously, when we see thousands of denominations, some of which express just really the slightest differences with other denominations that they would otherwise be in agreement with, this causes the world to question the truth about Jesus and what he came to do. When a group of Christians come to just an ever so slight difference of opinion on some secondary or tertiary such that they decide to form their own denomination, it is hurtful, not helpful to the purposes of Jesus Christ. The proof that he is sent is seen in how he continues to live in and through his disciples. The proof is seen in the very unity that is expressed within the church. Any unity that we see based upon the scripture is evidence that Jesus is at work. That he's in us. Because Can we say something about human life? Have you noticed anything? Left to their own devices, human beings naturally are not unified with one another. <laughs> Have you seen that in our culture recently? You can argue with anyone about anything at any time. And it's always been that way. This is nothing new. Left to ourselves, we are, we are disunified. And it's easy to be that way. But when Christ is in us, he's in us, and he's among us, he's at work within his church, that's a glorious thing. It's an unnatural thing. True unity is something the people of this world, they aspire to, but they never attain. True unity really is what we might call otherworldly. It is something that only exists between God and his son, Jesus Christ, and it has condescended and come into this world. Without Jesus' intrusion in this world, true unity could never exist. Remember back in the days of old, back in the early chapters of Genesis, as Brother Brock read, people of the land, they attempted to build the Tower of Babel. They were unified to some degree, unified in trying to shake their fist at God. And what did God do with that? He tore it down. And ever since then, every relationship within mankind has been breached. 
Jesus came to reconcile us to God, but also to one another. So if we hope to see any real unity, church family, it must be centered in Christ. It must be centered in his word. You have certainly heard the saying that actions speak louder than words, right? That's true in this case as well. If you belong to the Lord, there will be evidence in your life of that effect. If we belong to the Lord, we will treat each other graciously. We will have good attitudes and manners toward one another. In short, we will reflect Christ in all of these areas. We will reflect him. And the world will know that Christ is in us and he's working through us. If we belong to God, if we belong to Jesus, this kind of fruit is what we ought to see to that ends as it develops more unity within the body of Christ. The unity within the body of Christ coming together to minister to those outside the faith, friends, it will have a wonderful, wonderful effect. We have to strive for that unity. Serving in the common causes of Christ with one another in the body of Christ. So Jesus prays we would be one. He prays that we'd bear the marks of unity so that the people watching might see two things. You remember, they might see first it was that you may believe that you had sent me, speaking of Christ, The second is that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Think about this. Jesus is praying that so that they would believe that God loves us in the same way he loves his son. That's remarkable. He would love us that way. The love of God, therefore, is to abound in all of us. Our love, this mark of love, our unity is to reflect the fact that God loves us even as the Father loves his Son. If you know the love of God, it's not something that's just supposed to stay with you. It's something that's supposed to overflow from you and spread to others. Love toward one another is to be a fruit of this unity that we have within the church. The world is to see our love at work See, our love at work in our relationships with one another such that they will recognize that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Remember, Jesus earlier said in the Gospel of John, as we said, by this they will know that you are mine, that you have love for one another. People are looking, watching how the church interacts within its own walls. They're looking and seeing how one set of Christians interact with another set of Christians. How other individual Christians interact with other individual Christians. The world is watching. One commentator, Bruce Milne, has these very convicting words to share. He said, the biggest barriers to effective evangelism, according to the prayer of Jesus, are not so much outdated methods or inadequate presentations of the gospel as realities like gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, a root of bitterness, failure to appreciate others, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and every other form of lovelessness. These are the squalid enemies of effective evangelism which render the gospel fruitless and send countless thousands into eternity without a savior. The glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to our trust, is being openly contradicted and veiled by the sinful relationship within the community, which is commissioned to communicate it. We need to look no further to understand why the church's impact on the community is frequently so minimal in spite of the greatness of our message. We are fighting with only one hand. We are fighting with one hand. I love that. It's true. Because the fact of the matter is, our other hand is hard at work beating up our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And, and sadly, he's, he's right about this. When the world looks at us and sees that we have no care for one another, that we don't love each other as we ought, that we have very little patience or consideration for one another, instead of softening their hearts toward the Lord, it strengthens them in their unbelief. It gives them that moment of, ah, see, you claim this Lord of yours is at work, that he's alive and he's reigning over your church, that he's working in and through you. How is that possible? How can that be? Church family, it ought to be our desire and purpose to treat each other as those who are loved by God. Whether we agree with each other or not, over the various matters of the faith, we still owe it to each other to love one another. Now, of course, as stated earlier, we should never strive for unity at the expense of God's truth. But nevertheless, we owe everybody, everybody, the depth of love. If we are called upon to love even our enemies, how much more ought that love to be seen and experienced with those who are actually family members? Brothers and sisters in Christ church, if we could just grasp the fact that Jesus loves all his people unconditionally, and if we could better grasp the fact that we in and of ourselves are not very lovely people, then maybe, just maybe, we'd learn to love one another better than we currently do. As we seek God's grace to become better witnesses of the unity we have and the love we share, we ought to pray that Jesus would use these things to draw to himself. One last quote and we'll be finished. Bruce Milne says this again. He says, the unity Jesus, Jesus prayed for is a reality which God himself gives. We don't have to create anything. Our challenge is to give authentic expression to that which God has already worked in our midst. The church is already one in God. We need to allow that supernatural unity to find expression both in the local church and between the churches. Then he concludes with this. We can also draw encouragement from the fact that Jesus prays for the unity and Jesus' prayer prevails. If our prayers in Jesus' name are assured of an answer, how much more Jesus' prayer in Jesus' name? He cannot be denied, nor will he be. Despite all the contrary indications, the church is one and will be one in the glory of the consummation. This assurance does not absolve us from working for the expression of that unity in the present, but it does deliver us from an unbelieving despair. And so if that's you this morning, you're hearing all this stuff and you're saying, gosh, it sounds like a lot of work. Trust in Jesus. Jesus is praying for this. And if you are in God's church, then Jesus' prayer is going to prevail. You will be one with God's church. And so it's easy for us to be disheartened at maybe how disunified we, we seem to be right now. But there's such hope because our God is a gracious, gracious God who's faithful to work in these things, who's faithful to work in us despite our continual disobedience and rejection. So we trust him. If you feel like you are disconnected from this church, if you feel like there's just no avenue for you here, I pray one thing. I pray that you would Run to God's word. 
and you would examine God's word and you would let that be the unifying factor. So that, that maybe, maybe not right now, we don't necessarily have that avenue that you're looking for and, and what you think you need in a church. But are we striving towards God's word together? Are, are we joining each other in a pursuit of truth? Because that's the thing which God will connect us together around. That's his faithfulness that he will use to, to work us into this beautiful kingdom. And this is something that's so prevalent in our culture today. We're looking for churches that just have something for us. This is for us. God's given it to his church and this is what's so beautiful about this is some of the relationships in my life that have been rooted on the word of God have been relationships and people I would never communicate with outside of the word of God. They've become some of the most precious relationships in my life because they're centered on God's word. And I fear that in our culture, we're missing out on that because we want to be entertained or amused. We want to be comfortable Is his word sufficient for you? It's the bottom line. And if it is, then friends, we will be unified around this together. And the word will see that, and it will be a tremendous testimony unto the glory of God. Praise be to God, our great King and Lord. He is building his church. Let us pray that he will use us in the advancement of that unity so that others who are not brought into the fold will be. Amen. Why don't you stand and join your hearts with me in prayer? Father, I feel like you are using this in our church in one way or another, and I, I trust you, Father. I know that you are praying for this as we pray and beg that be, we be unified on God's word, that, Father, you are praying the same thing. Lord, that it's not going to take an additional program, it's not going to to take some sort of different avenue, it's, it's God's word. And as we're unified on God's word, let that be the thing which filters all these other things. Let that be the lens through which we see our unity and our, our issues. Let that be the thing through which relationships are built upon and strengthened. Lord, it's not that these other things are, are bad. It's not that all the, the programs are wrong, that the, the small groups are, are wrong. It's not that or fellowship is wrong at all. But, but it will be missing something if it's not rooted in the unity that's found in the word of God. Help us to see that. And help us to strive toward it. Lord, you're so good and you're so merciful to use this in our lives, to unite us together as a church. And Lord, I pray that the relationships we'd see here tonight and even experience in the fellowship tonight would be such a picture of the union of Christ, that those coming tonight who do not know you say, I don't know what's happening here, but I want it. We might have an opportunity to share with them the great, great message of our Savior. We love you, Lord. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.